0: It all started with a promise. Thousands of years ago, God told Abraham that his descendants would be a great nation. Abraham and Sarah had how many kids? Zero. And then God made this incredible promise. God told Abraham, he said, your descendants are going to be like the stars in the skies. That's how numerous they're going to be. They're going to be my own people and through them all nations Will be blessed. But there's a problem because hundreds of years uh, after the pyramids are built, God's holy people find themselves slaves in Egypt. You guys remember this? You remember your Bible stories from when you were a kid? The people of God are slaves under the pharaohs. They're, They're being forced to make bricks without straw and in these horrible conditions, and God's people cry out, God, rescue us, God save us, and God hears their cries and arranges a rescue mission. He sends a man with a speech impediment, uh, maybe because uh, when he, this man was a child, he held a coal in his mouth. For some of you Bible uh, scholars, you can look that up. His name is Moses. And God sends Moses to Pharaoh to bring out God's chosen people to fulfill his promise to, to build his nation. And Pharaoh says, No. You guys seen the Charlton Heston movie? I can't I can't teach the Exodus without thinking of Charlton Heston. I just can't. You know, the great scene of Let my people go. That's what Moses says to Pharaoh, right? And Pharaoh, it says that God hardens his heart. Stubborn Pharaoh. Refuses to let the Israelites go, refuses to let God's people go. Wants to keep them in slavery so they can keep working for him. And so God sends a series of plagues to soften Pharaoh's heart, right? Do you remember these? How many plagues were there? Ten. The first nine, not so bad. We made them through them, frogs and all kinds of weird things. But it's really the tenth one that is the big one. Because because God says, I'm going to send the angel of death into your home and all of your firstborns will be killed. Unless you do what? Yeah, your instruction is to take the lamb, a spotless lamb, and slaughter it. And when you take this lamb, we want you to, uh, this is a fairly graphic thing, if you could imagine. So, you know, uh, kids and, and uh, animals are raised kind of side by side in this world. And the kids' lamb, you know, probably had a name, lammy, lamb chop, I don't know. Um, pretty graphic. Are instructed to slaughter this lamb and then to take the blood of the lamb and to wipe it where, to smear it Where? on the doorpost of the house, probably where the names of the people living in the house were written. It's pretty important. And then they're supposed to stay inside of their house and they're supposed to have a feast on this lamb. You have to eat the whole thing up. And uh, uh, while they're inside feasting on this lamb, the angel of death is going to move through and any house that doesn't have the marking, their firstborn is going to be killed. But if you have the blood on your doorpost, if you have the blood on your on your home, if you sacrifice this lamb, you and your firstborn will be saved. The kids are w- in the home probably ask, "Well, why does lammy have to die?" Can you imagine this? Why did why did we have to kill our lamb? Now imagine you're, this is a great time as a parent, teaching moment with your kids. The parents got to say, well, it was the lamb or it was your brother. Because the lamb is a substitutionary sacrifice. One for another. Another. And the blood over the names creates a new covenant, a new agreement, a new relationship. Blood is the price. And if you have the blood on your doorpost, literally the angel of death would pass over your house. And with this one final plague, Pharaoh's will is broken. And the formation of Israel, God's chosen people, begins. Moses leads them out of Egypt. And every year the Jewish people are instructed, memory is incredibly important to God. Every year the people of Israel celebrate, God's chosen people, every single year, celebrate this same feast again. And they call it Passover. Nearly 2,000 years later, Jesus is going to ride into Jerusalem. It's kind of where we're at in Luke's story, in his travel gospel. Jesus rides into Jerusalem to celebrate a meal with his apostles, with everyone else. He is there to celebrate Passover. And as he's coming in, it's it, there's a pretty interesting scene where Jesus sends two of his apostles into town and say, hey, I want you to go and prepare a place for us to have this meal, this shared experience, this Passover meal together. I want you to go into town. And when you go into town, there's a guy that he actually has already set everything up for. it. Uh, you'll recognize him because he will be carrying a water pitcher. He'll be carrying water. So uh I know that didn't mean anything to us but basically Jesus was saying you'll recognize this guy because he'll be in drag. He'll have lipstick and a dress on. That's what it'll that's what it'll appear like because men do not carry water in this society ever ever ever. That is a woman's job. And so it's pretty interesting that Jesus says, hey, this guy's going to be easy to recognize. And it's true. Like, everyone would have, uh, man, would you love to be the guy the Holy Spirit chose to have this job? Like, <laughs> everyone in town recognized, dude, what are you doing? Why are you wearing lipstick? What's happened? You know, that's, that's the whole, it's a really fascinating scene. And so the apostles march into Jerusalem, and they, it's pretty obvious, hey, there's a guy carrying water. He's the one. And this guy has prepared a room for Jesus and his apostles to share Passover. And this is what it says in Luke chapter 22, verses 14 through 20. It says, when the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. And Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this. What are those two words? He I've been eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. And he took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. And after supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. You see what he did there? Last week we talked about Jesus entering in into Jerusalem and he has this triumphant entry and he goes into the temple and he drives people out. At the end of Luke, the disciples are amazed at how beautiful the temple is. And we talked about the temple of Herod last week. It was covered in so much marble and gold. It it sat on a flattened mountaintop. It looked like a snow-covered peak. It was a wonder of the world. It took 10,000 skilled laborers, 100 years to build. And Jesus said, hey, that's all gonna be torn down and I'm going to replace it. The place of your worship this temple is now going to be not a destination, not an address, not a GPS location. It's me. And now Jesus sits with his apostles around the table and says, Hey, you see that lamb we just slaughtered? That's me. I have come so that you might live. I am the substitution. I have come to take your place. Through my blood, we are going to make a new covenant. If Passover was about liberation, liberating God's people from slavery, Jesus now liberates us from sin And death. He takes bread and the cup in this special meal and says the the famous words: Do this in remembrance of me. Remembrance. In Scripture, memory is an incredibly important thing. Sometimes, uh, when you would go to the temple and you would make sacrifices, it said with the the incense that was in the temple, or or the. The, the burning smell of the sacrifices is said to awaken God's memory. Something about smell and memory working together. Memory is incredibly important to God. In, in the Old Testament, there's a whole system of feast and festivals. Passover is just one of more than a dozen feasts and festivals. So that you would practice every single year. So that you would what? Remember. Remember what God has done. And God knows us too well. He knows that we need all of these moments of remembrance. Why? Because I can't even find my car keys half the time. You know what I'm saying? Like, how many of you have forgotten where you parked or have been to a store only to walk in and go, why did I come here? God knows us. He knows our memory is not very good, and so, so we need special moments of remembrance. We need special moments of memory, and, and I love that, that Jesus, in his infinite wisdom, you, you see him all the time in his teaching, using the common, everyday things of life around them to demonstrate, to teach others about God. He'll use fields and farmers and seeds and trees and plants, right? Why? Because they were all right there. Because if we can use things immediately around us to activate memory, then then we've accomplished something. And so Jesus creates a new sacrament out of this mill. So some of you from, from different traditions Deep liturgical traditions know this word sacrament, and and sacrament is just just taking something that is incredibly common and giving it special meaning. Taking something incredibly common and making it holy. I, I love that Jesus uses the elements of a meal, a, a cup with wine in it and bread. How many of you have? I'm not going to ask how many of you have wine at your house. How many of you have bread at your house? <laughs> Like, we all have bread. You know what I'm saying? I know the answer to the other one, too. I'm praying for some of y'all. Jesus takes the most ordinary thing, right? And gives it a whole new meaning. How can I I help my people remember? How can I help them make this connection? I'm going to give them a cup. And in this cup is not going to be my my literal blood, but it's going to be a symbol of the blood. Remember the same blood that, okay, blood is the price for for us getting out of slavery. It's, it's It's the price of sin. So this cup is going to be a symbol of my blood, a symbol of my sacrifice. And this bread, it's gonna be a symbol of my body, broken, it, and, and I know these guys around the table with me don't get it yet, but they're gonna get it really soon. Because my body's gonna be shredded on the cross. And laying in the middle of this table is what? A slaughtered lamb. I love that he uses these these things from every day life. I love that he uses bread. We don't have to go, and it's not some special element. It's one of these things we all have. It's it's kind of even a sign of he. He almost there's almost this sense of when you when you take take these everyday things, not just once a week on a Sunday, but but every day when you take these things, uh, literally. Jesus prays, "Give us this day our daily bread." It is a sign of God's great provision. So this meal goes by a bunch of different names. Communion, the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, Passover Feast. All of these things at once is, is about memory, activating our memory of who god is and what he has done and and how he has acted and how he has responded and it, there's almost this sense like you you don't even get to get to throughout your week pick pick up the cup or the bread without it like somehow working inside of you again and the the repetition of us eating three times a day or well we're americans five times a day you know like like this there's repetition in this that's supposed to be a Repetition in our minds to help us remember along the way. So memory is incredibly important, but so is community. Communion literally means participation. It means fellowship. Uh, it, It means something we share together. And I don't think it just means that maybe you've been to those churches where everyone takes the elements of communion, takes the cup at exactly the same times, like says the prayer, okay, countdown, three, two, one, go. And everyone at the same time, right? Uh, And everyone take the bread. We have to do this together. Because if we're out of sync, well, we've got to start over, right? No, 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 no. There's something more than that. It's something we share together. I I, I think it means... um, this meal is, is, is not your individual quiet time. Now I'm stepping on toes, so I'm going to tread gently. How many of you guys like Thanksgiving? Oh, yeah. <laughs> How many of you think we should have Thanksgiving more than once a year? <laughs> yeah, like absolutely, let's do it. So imagine, uh, I, I, I'm imagining most of our Thanksgiving experiences are pretty similar. Um... We fix a big meal. There's usually a a dead animal in the middle of it, at least one. My house, the more the better. Uh, There's a turkey and there's stuffing and there's, you know, there's a whole ritual around. Thanksgiving. Uh, this is about the closest thing I can get to our American ideas of, of what Passover. So here's a meal. We, share, we celebrate it once a year. There are some specific elements that kind of have to be there. Like it's not Thanksgiving if we don't have sweet pickles or I don't know what it is at your house. Like, um, so you have to have these elements. So for Thanksgiving, for you to have a Thanksgiving meal, um, imagine if everybody showed up there's a beautiful meal set out on the table, and everybody got their plates and everybody filled their plates, and then everybody took their plates to separate places around the house. Would that work? Why not? We all have the elements of the meal right here, right? Now, we would miss it because Thanksgiving is about family, right? Thanksgiving isn't just the elements on the plate, but but what makes Thanksgiving special is the shared experience of the meal. What makes it special is maybe once this year, we all sit at a table together. And if you were like a, my parents' house, my mom would always say, everyone has to share one thing they're thankful for. You know what I'm saying? Like, have you done this? Like, but that is the essence of Thanksgiving. Like, we have all of these other elements, but the essence of it is this shared experience. Now, I know I'm going against the grain here. When I grew up at church, when you were given the elements of communion, it was your personal quiet time, right? But if you look at scripture, that, that, that really misses something essential, don't you think? What if when Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, he didn't just mean the elements, which of course are, are incredibly important. But what if when he said, do this in remembrance of me, he said, do this. Share it with each other. Sit close to each other. In fact, if you look in Scripture, the only time people really get this thing out of whack is when some start to take communion without others. Like taking a Thanksgiving meal and spreading out. We miss it. What's important isn't the turkey or the cranberry sauce. What's important is the sharing. Do this means share this together. And, and it is designed to become this incredibly like uniting and unifying thing. It is the sharing of Christ that brings meaning to the Lord's Supper. It is the sharing of Christ that binds us together. So, I want to try an experiment, <laughs> and you should be, always be nervous. Around our room, we have the elements of communion, of the Last Supper, of the Lord's Supper. Sitting here on three tables around our room, we, we have the element of the cup, and we have the element of the bread, incredibly important and significant and packed With meaning. And in just a minute, I'm going to dismiss you to a time of communion, of fellowship together. It is something we do together. And so I'm going to encourage you as you take these elements to share Christ together. Now, I know this is outside of our norm because I would much rather just go back to my seat and have my own quiet time. But I think there is value in the sharing. And I'm going to give you a couple instructions. So maybe you say, Adam, how do I do this? I want to build this time around one question. And that question is, what does Jesus mean to you? This is a question that can have a lot of different answers. Um, having some behavior issues with with one of our kids right now, Jesus means for us like just constancy. When things seem like scattered or or uh, shaken, He's been constant this week. We had a. Um, we had storms come through. Oh, I'm sorry. We had the threat of storms come through. Um, please let me be the one who makes the calls about school closings. We, you just know, you will always go. I don't care what comes. It's you're just always going to go. Um, sorry, that was tangent. Um, but we had storms. Maybe, maybe in your life, maybe this week, you've been experiencing a storm, and and Jesus for you this week has just been been peace in the middle of it. The storm hasn't gone away. It hasn't passed. It hasn't blown over. The storm is still happening. But in the midst of that, he's been—he's been a little—he's there's been a little bit of peace. What does Jesus mean to you? Um, I need to acknowledge that I know there are those of you in this room who don't know him. And maybe the answer to that question of what does Jesus mean to you is, I don't know. I'm not sure. I think even sometimes people who have been believers and given their life to Christ, we come to these valleys in our faith where we begin to question things. And I actually think that this meal is the perfect place for you to say, I don't know. I think there's great honesty in that. I think there's great truth in that. I, I, think, I think the only way we really mess up the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, communion, is to speak about Jesus, some pat answer that we've been told by somebody else, somewhere else, or to speak something about him that we don't truly believe. So in just a minute, I'm going to dismiss you. I'm going to say a prayer, and I'll dismiss you to this time of communion, and believe it or not, I think this time, uh, uh, can I, can I praise you guys? You guys are awesome at Hug and Howdy. Like, we don't have to do anything. Like, as soon as Philip says, hey, greet each other, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like, everyone knows what to do, and I love that about our church. Like, like like somehow you just get it. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, And everyone says when they come to Aspen Grove, man, everyone was so welcoming and warm and welcome. And I was like, I know, we can't get anywhere shut up. Um, but anyway. <laughs> oh, I'm praising, I'm praising, I'm praising. Um, you guys get it. You get the whole feel of hug and howdy, right? Uh, I would argue that hug and howdy is, is a sacrament. I would argue that it is sacred space. And this, this time of communion and Lord's Supper we're about to enter into, that, that same, you felt it a few minutes ago, that same ease and, and ease with each other and peace with each other and, and warmth with each other that exists in Hug and Howdy. I want you to take that same spirit into communion. You think you can do it? Imagine sitting around, this, this thing was around friends around a table together. I know some of you go to Subway every Sunday after church. That is a loud table. I'm just telling you right now. Why? Because you're friends and you love each other. And so I want you to take that same energy into communion. Doesn't that kind of energy honor what this moment is all about? And with that same energy, I want you to just take turns answering the question, what does Jesus mean to you? I think it's important for us to speak these words like our ears need to hear, uh, my ears need to hear you you say what Jesus means to you. And I think your lips need to remember those words again. The people sitting next to you need to hear again what Jesus means to you. Right? Right? We kind of assume we all have a faith in Jesus and we're kind of all okay because we're sitting next to each other. Well, let's tell each other. Well, Jesus meant this to me. Oh, when this lyric of this song happened, man, that just connected me and somehow. I want to put a special call out to you. Um, maybe the people you're sitting next to. Um Not enough just to sit shoulder to shoulder, but I want to give a special call out to parents. If you're a parent in this room and you have kids in this room, now is your chance. Now is your chance. Your kids want to know what you believe about Jesus. And they need to hear it from your own lips. Amen? Now is your chance take advantage of it. think you guys can do this, putting a lot of faith in you you I know there's gonna be like this crazy magnet in the center of your chair that's gonna call you back and and and, and God, I love you. Some of you are introverts, and I'm scaring the pants off you right now. And I'm so sorry. But I believe there is something good about this. And I know some of you are a guest today, and I hope that you receive this time in the warmest, most welcoming way that, that's possible. I hope you receive it in a way that knows that we place incredibly high emphasis on Scripture and what Jesus is trying to do with it. And we don't just want to talk about it, but we want to live into it. So, what is your one question? What does Jesus mean to you? This is the great starting place. I'm going to invite you to stand up take the elements and then just spend some time sharing together let me pray for you go ahead and stand go ahead and stand let's pray together father god i thank you so much for uh, your son jesus i thank you for the example he gave i thank you that that he is the new temple he is the place of worship he's he's replaced the worship and all of its functioning in himself and father god I thank you too that he is the lamb that has died for us that has paid the price for our sin and we recognize him and remember him now in this moment. We take these elements of communion uh, with, with all of the authenticity and with, with all of the importance that, that we can muster. God, such an important space. And Father God, fill our lips. Give us a voice that lets us speak and share you with each other. Because Father God, how are we ever going to share you with our friends and neighbors if we don't have the ability to share you with each other? So Father God, let something big start here. Let us consider what you mean to us. God, may we share your supper. May we commune with you as we commune with each other. We love you, Father. And in your Son, Jesus' name, everyone together says, amen. Amen. I dismiss you to a time of communion together.